covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. It is time for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley. Great to have you with us right in the middle of the uh, NLDS. We come your way. I am recording this on Sunday night. They are going to be playing game three of the NLDS. The Brewers are against the Braves on Monday afternoon. As I record this at 11.01 p.m. Central Time on Sunday night, we still don't for sure know what time the Brewers game is going to start on Monday. It could start in 13 hours from when I'm recording. It could start in... What I'm trying to do the math. It could start in 13, or it could start in what, 16, 17 hours, whatever it is. Uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of uh, where we're at. I'm going to. Uh, I was waiting as long as I could to get this podcast done, hoping that I would at least uh, have a pretty good idea. And to be fair, as I am recording this, the White Sox do lead the Astros by a 9-6 score, so it looks likely, most likely, that the Brewers are playing a noon game, not a 3 o'clock game uh, on uh, on Monday. But if something crazy happens, and you'll know when you're listening to this, because by the time this podcast is posted, this game uh, probably probably being the key word, probably is going to be over. But uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh, on that. Got a lot to get to. First off, I uh, do want to say hello to all of our new uh, folks who have found the podcast and found the podcast uh, feed, podcast channel. Uh, our numbers have been fantastic, and uh, subscriptions are up and things like that. We're seeing a lot of people listening. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. The more people that listen, then eventually with all the algorithms and everything, the more people that are able to find it. And that's a good thing. We'd like to have as many people listening to this as possible. So uh, the fact that so many people are listening to this, listening to the post game show, listening to all the different things we're doing, it's really, really cool. And I'm very appreciative of it. So uh, first and foremost, just want to say thank you. Uh, and to all the people who have been here from the beginning, this is episode, let me get the number. This is of the week weekly podcast. So this is obviously different than the post-game show that gets uh, podcasted on this feed or the uh, Brew October Nightly, all that stuff. But as far as just the the weekly podcast that we do Sunday nights slash Monday morning, this is episode number 237. So we've been doing this for a while. Our first ever episode was all the way back in November of 2018 as I look inside the folder that uh, I have all the episodes. So you know what? That's not true. That's not true. It was before then. Maybe it was before then. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, no, it was in uh, January. It was February. Is that right? Yeah, February of 2017. Excuse me. February of 2017 was uh, when we did episode number one of this program. So we've been doing this for a pretty long time now, so it's pretty cool to see uh, how many people have uh, continued to uh, stick with us from the beginning and the uh, new people that have found us as we have uh, moved along. All right, so uh, you don't care about all that. What you do care about is how uh, the Brewers are playing. Just real quick, housekeeping items. Uh, If you want to get in contact with me, at Matt Pauley on air on Twitter. And if you uh, don't subscribe to the podcast and want to, that would be fantastic. Find us on uh, Apple uh, Apple Podcasts is way most people listen to the podcast. We're in other places as well. Um, Brewers 1-1 against the Braves. Offense has not done a lot. A rowdy Telez two-run home run in game number one is the only RBI hit that the Brewers have collected. Admittedly, in game number two, they got two runners on in each of the last three innings, so they had something going, but they did not come up with the proverbial big hit, and that is something that we have said about this team a lot during 
during the last few years that they sometimes they go into these periods where they just can't find that big hit. A lot of people are really worried about the offense, and they might be right. By the way, like I'm not, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm saying I'm not willing to go there quite yet. In the postseason, you face off against really good pitching, and Charlie Morton was really good. And then Max Freed, I think, was even better. Freed, arguably, if Freed would have put up full season numbers like he did uh, for the half season, he would be right there in the Cy Young conversation along with Corbin Burns and Max Scherzer. That's how good Max Freed was during the second half of the season when he led Major League Baseball in ERA since the uh, since the All Star break. He was really, really good. So the Brewers were not an especially good offensive club in the month of September. Right, yeah, we can we can accept that. Was that because they were legitimately struggling, or was that because there wasn't a whole lot to play for for the vast majority of September? I I lean towards the latter. I lean towards that really wasn't who the Brewers were when they were playing down the stretch. But at the end of the day, if the Brewers go score zero one two runs here over the next two days against Atlanta and they're done after uh, after four games and their their season is over then I think we have to revisit this and talk about the substance and the reality of a struggling offensive ball club and that's not going to be me you know going back over what I said previously I just don't think there's enough information there to say whether or not they are a struggling club in fact the fact that they got you know hits and runners aboard, in each of the three innings after Max Freed came out of the game in game number two, to me that's a positive indication because the way you score runs, the way you win ball games, is by applying pressure. And they, they started applying pressure after Freed came out of the game. That's a good thing to me. Now, did they ever come up with the, with the one or two hits that they needed to tie the game up or maybe take the lead? No, they didn't, and that's, that's a big part of what happened there. In fact, Craig Council even discussed it after the game on Saturday that he felt like his team had some pitches to hit against the Atlanta bullpen, and they just didn't come up with those hits. But those, those are where you need to be able to come through. So there's good and bad, the good being that they make some noise, in those final few innings, the bad being that they don't make enough noise or after they make a little bit of noise, they don't come up with the big hit that they really need to come up with. So I'm just, I'm reserving judgment at this point on what this team is doing from an offensive standpoint. I don't think we have enough information from the first two games of the series to really determine whether or not uh, they are they are truly struggling or if it's just you give credit to the pitching that they happen to be facing. And I, I think Charlie Morton and Max Fried were legitimately really, really, really good against the Brewers. And in many ways that can mask offensive issues. Because if you are a struggling offensive club and you go up against really good pitching, well, you're probably not going to have much success whether you are a struggling offensive club or whether you're a good offensive club, right? Like even good offensive clubs can get shut down by by really, really good pitching. So again, I just don't know what you take away from uh, from those first two games. If the Brewers can win one of these next two in Atlanta, they come back for a game number five in Milwaukee. That's a good spot to be in. You, I would think they would have Corbin Burns on the mound for a game five. I, I still think it's going to be Eric Lauer in a uh, in a game number three. I don't think they're going to pitch uh, Burns on, on short rest or move away from the from what would be a four man rotation. But who knows? 
yeah, I was I was sitting there throwing out all kinds of ideas and theories on what was going to happen in game three of the series uh, because they weren't making the announcement on Freddie Peralta. So when they don't make the announcement, all of a sudden you start going, okay, well, this is the Brewers. This is the Craig Council-led Brewers. They've done weird and wacky things when it's come to pitching before. And then you combine that with the fact that Devin Williams is out and they may have to get creative to get to the ninth inning because really the goal is to get to Josh Hader in the ninth with the lead no matter how you have to do it. And if there are days where maybe some guys are not going to be available that you would like to cover the seventh and eighth innings, well, maybe you have an opener cover the first two innings and the starter then you know takes over in the third. And if you can get five, six innings from them, well, then all of a sudden you're looking pretty close to getting to the ninth inning. You just happen to cover those high leverage innings in a way in the first and second as opposed to, to later in the game. So we're going through it. Like those are, the, those are the possibilities that we're throwing out there. And then what happens? Craig Council says on Sunday, yeah, Freddie Peralta is the starter. And he kind of made the joke that, you know, Freddie Peralta has kind of been penciled in as the starter since uh, June or July. And at that point you go, okay, yeah, of course. Like that's, that's of course what it should be. It's a, they can do things conventionally because of the starting pitching uh, that they have. So you just, but again, with the Brewers, we, we've seen what they've done. So when, when the announcement isn't made about who the game three starter is going to be, well, you start, you start kind of thinking through, well, what what might they be doing then? And at the end of the day, they're doing what they probably should do and doing what most people would expect them to do, and that is indeed uh, go with Freddie Peralta in game number three. All right, uh, our featured conversation this week is with uh, Andrew Wagner. You can follow him on Twitter at ByAndrewWagner. Uh, you can find him all over the place, writes for uh, Forbes Sports, writes uh, for the Wisconsin State Journal. He's, he's other places. Uh, you can, again, following him on Twitter at ByAndrewWagner is the best way to see uh, all the different things that he is writing and how to follow along uh, with his uh, coverage. He is in Atlanta for games three and four of the NLDS, so let's head to Atlanta. Atlanta, and uh, welcome Andrew Wagner on to the program. Hey, Andrew, how are you? I'm good. I can cover, I'll cover anything for anyone if you feed me or pay me. So, you know, you want me to write a story for your neighborhood newsletter? I got you. There you go. The, uh, the there's, yeah, there's, uh, when I was out of work at one point in time, there's like services out there where people will pay you like three bucks to, uh, to write a blog post for a random media site. So I think you can do a little bit better than that. <laughs> yeah. Wonder if I, you know, I wonder if it would be ethically taught. Like, you know what, college kids don't want to write your paper. Call me. I got you. I got you. We'll make it. We'll make a fair price. You, <laughs> you are in Atlanta. We are recording this on Sunday night. So, look, I am. I fully understand that TV rules the world. I'm not against it. You know, every time the Brewers play one of those YouTube games, people get up in arms, and I'm the one out there saying, you know what, this is no different than when games came off of broadcast TV and went to uh, cable TV. Like, it's just the it's the next iteration. So, like, I, I am not somebody that's anti-whatever-you-want-to-call when it comes to media, but... Let's be let's be honest about the again ten twenty eight p.m. on Sunday night in the Central. That means it's eleven twenty eight in the Eastern Time Zone. There are kids who are going to sleep tonight, not knowing if uh, their parents are going to wake them up to the next day to say, "Hey, we're going right to the ball game," or if we're going to have to go 
to, to school first for a half day and then we'll pull you out and take you to the game. I mean, I'm watching a game right now that's in the seventh inning that is going to dictate what time the Brewers-Braves game is going to start on Monday. That's not good for baseball, right? No, it's not. I tell you what, it's not good for the product. And listen, don't get me wrong. You're, you're never going to hear me say, oh, you know, the four millionaire athletes. There is something to be said about this. You know, there's a big difference in preparing your body and knowing when you need to be ready for something. And it's probably a little bit different in basketball. You can go to bed, whatever. You can rest your body, hydrate for, for whatever. But, like, in baseball, you're going to be standing there while a guy is hurling an object at you at 100 miles an hour. You know, and you need to have those reflex skills so it doesn't hit you in the head and kill you. Um, and I know that sounds like a little bit of exaggeration there, but, but at the end of the day, you know, there is a safety thing about it. Um, so for these guys to not know what time they have to be at the park tomorrow morning or tomorrow afternoon, uh, to start their day, to start their treatments, to start their workouts and get their bodies ready and get their minds ready. You know, I, I think it's absolutely asinine that that major league baseball would, would let it come down to this, that, you know, you have teams that are sitting here in, in the Eastern time zone waiting to find out if they have to go to work in six hours or go to work in 12 hours. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So probably as we speak, probably just about every member of the Brewers are sitting in their hotel room in Atlanta watching this game that now at 1030 is going to the bottom of the seventh inning. And a gen- generally, especially during the playoffs, you get to the ballpark a little bit earlier uh, during the playoffs. There's some earlier media availabilities and stuff like that. So if it's a 1 o'clock Eastern game, what guys would probably be getting there by 9, maybe 10 in the morning at the absolute latest. So it does – I don't know. I mean, you're right. Like, they're – it just it just doesn't seem like it's the way things should be in the postseason. I I want to see a bunch of well rested players playing baseball. I don't want to see guys who are up till one o'clock in the morning watching a game and then all of a sudden realizing that they're going to have to be up in six hours to get ready. And I understand the whole you know wanting to maximize ratings and, and I get that part of it because again TV dry I, I get that I accept it I'm not complaining about it. I would like to see sometimes. What would happen if you put all four of those games on at once or two at the same time? Because I got to think that the local interest outweighs any national interest, and I, I, I think that you're not you're not going to gain or lose anything really um, by, by having games on at stake or times throughout the day. Because people that want to truly watch that game that involves their team at one o'clock in the afternoon when they're at work, maybe they don't care about you know, the Dodgers and Giants at 9 o'clock at night. You know, maybe they're going to go to bed because they have to work. So I, I just don't see why they can't, at least at least on the weeknight in that first round, just put the games on at the same time. Those those TV executives at, uh, at Turner and Fox want their exclusive broadcast windows. You know that. Yep, and if they, they want me to stop complaining, they're more than welcome to bring me on the payroll and pay me a significant sum of money, and then I will be quiet and hush up. I'm sensing a theme I'm pretty here. Easy, I'm on. pretty easily bought, yeah. Yeah. I'm no. easily bought. 
Uh, we found out uh, earlier on Sunday that Freddie Peralta would be the the game three starter. It's kind of funny. So it's you know, Craig Council even said, yeah, this has been pretty much the plan since July. So we sit here because we've seen the Brewers do crazy and wacky things during the Craig Council era. So when they don't announce a game three starter, all of a sudden you start to put together all these theories on what they might do. Maybe it's going to be Eric Lauer. Maybe it's going to be an opener in front of Peralta. Maybe it's going to be this. Maybe it's going to be that. And it comes out and it just ends up being Peralta but that's kind of the way things are because we've seen the Brewers do wacky things that even when they're conventional in their decisions you're kind of expecting them to go non-conventional yeah and, and you know what we're, we're let's still not real first of all let me before I before I answer let me just say thank you for saying Sunday because I have been acting like it's Monday every day every hour of the day today for whatever reason I'm completely thrown off it's Sunday so I think I said Tuesday earlier. So forgive me, uh, but yeah, I, I I thought I thought for sure that Council had something up his sleeve for today, and that's why he was being you know so hush and coy and, and mums the word about who his starter was going to be, and then all of a sudden you know we get the notification this afternoon, not long after they land that Peralta's going to go today. I'm like, really? You know what was what was all that about? Um, so who knows? Maybe maybe there's still some you know tomfoolery in the works. Maybe it's going to be. A shorter, excuse me, a shorter start for Freddie because he has been kind of, you know, struggling a little bit down the stretch, and then they want to get as much out of him as possible. Um, who knows? Uh, I do think it's a great choice. I mean, he's had up until you know that that little injury, he was having a hell of a season. You know, it's it just an incredible year for for the young guy, and just to see how far he's grown since you know he came up in 2018 is just phenomenal. It's um it. You know, a lot of people are worried about his September, and he even admitted when he was talking on Sunday about the fatigue that he experienced. The way he referenced it was that he was getting tired quicker, but that he feels good now. I think there, you know, there's a certain contingent of Brewers fandom that is very concerned about Peralta after he had a bit of an up and down September. But at, at the same time, I don't know about you. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth before I even ask the question. But I just. I dismiss so much of what happened in the final two, three weeks of the season when this team really, even before they officially clinched, they still really were not playing for much. And I agree with you there. You know, you always want to come out and be competitive. You always want to come out and win the game. But I hate to say the phrase because it has such a negative connotation, but I do believe that a lot of those days, the guys are going through the motions, and not because they're lackadaisical, not because they're lazy, not because you know they weren't motivated, just because you know, they're trying to keep their bodies fresh because they have a lot more that they want to play for. So you're going out there, you're getting near a badge. You know what? You might not be putting everything into every single swing. You might not be running as hard down the line on every foul ball or fly ball. And, and you know, your pitchers might not be throwing 100% on every one of their pitches because, again, it's more about keeping the motion, keeping the repetition, and keeping the body warm but not hot, if that makes sense. Um, you know, how that pertains to Freddie, you know, we'll see. You know, I, I don't at all dismiss the whole he's getting tired faster thing. It makes total sense. He threw 29 innings last season in that really weird year. Before that, he threw the career high of 85, and the year before that, as a rookie, he threw 79. So he's at, I think, 144 going into his start tomorrow. That's a pretty hefty jump from 29 uh, and then from 85 the year before. So 
it makes sense. You know, he's still a really young guy. He's an incredibly young guy. He doesn't have a lot of experience. Um, but, you know, this is one of those little breaks that they have built into the system this year for all of their pitchers, be it the six-man rotation, be it skipping starts, be it shortening a start here or there. They've been really good about managing the workload this year. I think they knew it was coming with Freddie at some point. The injury just kind of opened the door to that. Um, and then they had the luxury of, of that cushion down the stretch where they could just sit guys, even if it meant costing them a victory here or there. You know, you already had everything locked up. That's what that cushion allowed you to do, to rest guys, to take it easy, and to make sure you're going into the playoffs not burning hot but healthy. I know nobody cares about next year at this moment, but I've just kind of openly wondered uh, with all these guys pushing their innings as much as they did this year, and they're going to be cognizant of that even next year. And Council's talked about the 26-man roster now giving them the opportunity to carry six starting pitchers. I wonder if they go into spring training next year and once again really consider doing a a six-day or six-man rotation, even though you're going 162 to 162. It it seems like it has helped in in many ways. The only negative is guys get a few less starts over the year, but if you've got a a rotation the way the Brewers have a rotation and all these guys are going to be back, plus you have Ashby, plus you have Ethan Small right around the corner, Like for me it it seems like you could very easily stick with six starters next season. Absolutely. And, you know, the one thing that, 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 that makes that make sense, because you're right, it, it, it does cost guys a couple of starts, which, listen, let, 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 let's cut right to the point. It costs guys money. You know, less stats, less starts, less appearances, less at-bats, less whatever, that ultimately costs guys money when it goes into arbitration or it goes into salary negotiations, things like that. What, what the Brewers have been able to do, and you know, a word that gets tossed around every year in spring training uh, is, is culture, culture, and culture. And, and you hear about this this culture the Brewers have of, of putting the team first, and you know, next man, you know, all those little things. Cliches are here all the time. You know, there there has been an open willingness because of what the Brewers have been committed to doing and what they've accomplished on the field the last couple of years, where guys have been willing to sacrifice their stats for the greater good of the team. Um, and I think with these three guys uh, who are at least under control for the immediate future, and I'm sure that the, the process will start about locking them up, you know, I think they're willing to buy in to that again. Like, hey, look how dominant you guys were with this extra rest, and look what that did for the team. You know, I don't think that'll be a very hard sell if they decide to go with that again next season. And in fact, you know, I see no reason not to do it. Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. What do you make of the fact that uh, the Brewers often struggle down the stretch of the regular season, but again, we just mentioned before, you don't put much stock into uh, what happened then. The bottom line, though, in the first two games of this series, the Brewers have one RBI hit. What do you make of that? Is it just good pitching from Atlanta? Is it a, a bad uh, slump that the Brewers are in? Is it some combination of the two? I definitely think it's a combination of the two. And, you know, the one thing to keep in mind is, you know, the both the Brewers and the Braves going into Game Three have exactly eleven hits. Um, when those hits have come, that's been the difference. You know, the Braves obviously had that. I'm using the term loosely here because you know, it wasn't that big, but it was a big inning compared to all the other innings. You know, they've scored their runs and won. I think was it one or maybe two innings most. 
Brewers scored their runs in one inning. You know, this is an incredibly well-pitched series. Both of these teams have incredibly good pitchers, and you see that all over baseball. Uh, You get to the playoffs with pitching. You know, there's no secret there. Everyone that's in the playoffs has good pitching, no no matter what different form it takes. Um, It didn't help that the Braves' first two starters were off-speed and breaking ball specialists, which has been something that's flummoxed the Brewers' offense all season long. But it, I don't think anyone should be surprised that you know the first two games have gone this way, um, and, and the, the, that's not you know a condemnation of the Brewers' offense, which yes, I, I admit the Brewers' offense been problematic, you know at times all season. Christian Yelich has struggled, Omar Gavias is struggling right now, but you know I, I think at this point you chalk it up to pitching. The Brewers did have some some great chances late in game two, three straight innings. They brought the, the tying run to the plate, and they couldn't do anything with it. Um, they've had their opportunities. They haven't cashed in. The Braves cashed in on an opportunity that they had. That made it stick. You know, people say, well, this very easily, you know, could have been a, a, a 0-2 hole. It very easily could have been a 2-0 advantage. This has, been, this has been a very good series so far through these two games. I think either team could be up 2-0. Maybe you can make that argument a little bit more for uh, for the Braves, considering the way Game One went. But to what you, I mean, the Brewers were one hit away in each of the last three innings from getting runs on the board. So they they don't come up with those hits yep. clearly. But the, yeah, this has been a very evenly matched series. It, it deserves to be a one-one series right now. Absolutely, you know. It's, it's- it's easy to look at this and say this is an extension of what, what happened to the Brewers down the stretch, and this is just the problems of the beginning of the season resurfacing. And that argument makes sense. It's a very fair argument. But you do have to step away from that and realize you are facing the best pitchers in baseball every single night the rest of the way. Runs in general are going to be hard to come by. Look at the, look at the White Sox and Astros series that's probably – you know, still in the sixth inning right now. We've been talking for, you know, 20 minutes. You know, up until, you know, early in this game, you know, nobody had nobody had an extra base hit in the series. You know, everything was all singles. You know, the 11 hits totally were all singles. So you know, it's just, it's hard to generate offense in postseason baseball. And when the Brewers' offense was at its best this year, you know, unlike in years past where they lived and died with the long ball, the Brewers were at their best when they were stringing together long at bats, slapping balls into play, moving runners over, you know, the old keep the line moving thing. That's incredibly difficult to do against postseason pitching. It's just, it's tough. You have to feast on mistakes, the mistakes that become home runs because you're facing a lot of power guys, and you have to take advantage of the opportunities like the Brewers, as we said, didn't do in those late innings on uh, Saturday. And here's part of the problem with, and I, again, I, I'm not overly worried about what the Brewers are doing offensively, but if I am going to raise a red flag, this would be the flag that I would raise. Like the, there's not that many hitters in baseball that can that can hit really good pitching. Good pitching dominates just about everything. And when Christian Yelich was at his MVP form, he was one of the few baseball players walking the face of the earth that a pitcher could give him his best stuff and he could do something with it. He's not at that point right now. 
Uh, I don't I don't know who the Brewers are. Like you think about Avisayo Garcia, the vast majority of Garcia's production this year have been on mistakes. And I think we can say that about a lot of Brewers hitters. I think we can say that about most teams hitters. Again, there's just very few hitters that are so skilled that you can get a really, really good pitch and do something with it. So if I was going to be worried about anything when it comes to the Brewers is they have to be ready for those rare mistakes. And in the playoffs, they are that much more rare. Yep, and, and, and we saw it with Avi. Uh, you know, that was that was the first one that came to mind. I think that was in the seventh inning. Uh, he got he got the perfect pitch, and I can't remember what it was off the top of my head. Uh, I screwed up my notebook, but he got just underneath and followed it right back. I mean, that was that was his pitch. It was right in his wheelhouse, right where he wanted, and he was just you know a millimeter off on it. You know, and and that's the kind of stuff that happens. To your point about hitting mistakes, with the way that pitching has evolved. You know, in the way that guys are throwing now, that's pretty much, we always hear about the three true outcomes. You know, it's home run or strikeout. Well, that's because the way guys are pitching, your best chance of success is waiting out a mistake when a power pitcher, you know, misses his mark, when a, when an off-speed guy, you know, can't get just the right break on his curveball. That's how you generate offense these days. You know, it's the old argument, you know, why don't they bunk? Why don't they bunk? Huh. Guy? Everyone's throwing 98 on the black. You know, you can't you can't generate offense that way anymore. So yeah, you're right. It's all about hitting mistakes, and those mistakes become much more rare once it gets October. I I did the post game show on Saturday, and it's a post. You know, it's a, we get a good amount of interaction as is, but it's a postseason game, so we're going to get a ton of interaction. Three quarters of my calls were people wanting the team to bunt. And we, I went through the scenarios with them in the eighth and ninth inning. You, you want Willie Adamas to not swing away. You want him to put down a bunt with two on when you're down three in the eighth. You want Lorenzo Cain to bunt for a base hit uh, when two on in the ninth inning when you're down three. And, and, and with no due disrespect meant to, to, to Luke Maley, he's the next guy coming up. Like, I, Andrew, it was – I was pulling hair out of my head. Years came off of my life. I just could not believe some of the things that were being said. You know, if, if it's a one-run game, okay, let's have the conversation. But in a three-run game, people are calling up, moaning and complaining about the team not bunting. I could not believe the. I should have. I should have expected it. But I, I, I just, I could not believe the phone calls I was getting on Saturday. And it goes back to the whole thing. This is it's just how the game is pitched. Every single guy coming out of every single team's bullpen right now is throwing absolute gas every time. You just can't trust bunting on that stuff. This isn't like, you know, even five years ago where most of your middle relievers were a bunch of journeymen who were still hanging on and they were what they call old crafty veterans, you yeah. know, that, that old cliche. It's not that anymore. Most of your relievers now, most of your top middle inning guys are like the Brewers, young starters who are coming up who haven't developed a third pitch yet. So they're coming out from third gas, and they maybe have one off-speed pitch to kind of fool you. That's it. Just try squaring up a bunt on that. Just try squaring up a bunt on that. Because yeah. that's how you bump. You, you bunt into a pop-up. You, know, you bunt into something easy. You miss and strike out. Like It just it doesn't make sense in today's game. Add in the whole analytics thing where you give it away. It's just it doesn't work. 
it doesn't work the way that it used to. And I understand that it drives people crazy because, you know, what's old is always better. But at some point, you just got to accept, like bell bottoms, it's not coming back. Well, here's the side people call up and say, you know, Paul Molitor, Robin Yount, they put down bunts. If Paul Molitor or Robin Yount are coming up in the ninth inning and there are two on and you're down 3 nothing, they better not be bunting. I don't care what year it is. Harvey Keen would have jacked them with their own bat if they would have bumped in that situation. You know, and, and beyond that, neither one of those guys are on the team anymore. Neither one of those guys are playing in this era. And those are the guys that I grew up with, so I'm yeah. not saying anything you know wrong about them. But, again, it's just not how the game is played. And I understand it's frustrating for people, but at some point, you just got to accept it. Yeah, I, oh, man, I'm going to sound like a big jerk here, and I'm not trying to. Um I'm fine with being the jerk, Matt. We've we've established this long ago. Okay. Uh, well, I'll 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 get on board here for just a second. I I think there is a generation of people that don't want to look at baseball as being just a set of data, and when they hear that the computer is going to tell you that you have a much higher percentage chance of scoring multiple runs in an inning, swinging away and maybe striking out, than you do putting down a bunt. They don't want to hear that because the game that they love is a game, and it's not this data accumulation that it's being looked at now, if that makes sense. I just think there's a group of people out there that are completely unwilling to accept the fact that there is hard, fast information that can largely dictate uh, what you should be doing at any given moment. And I, I, I agree with you, uh, and not not slamming them, well, not outright slamming them, but, you know, if you don't like that aspect of baseball today, then, you know, don't be a fan of the Brewers because they don't make these four straight playoff appearances unless they adopt that analytical approach, you know? That's how they got, especially this year. This year, more than any, you know, analytics got them there. The whole philosophy of, and we've talked about this before, instead of having the best team on paper, you know, overall, being able to put the best team on the field on any given day in any given matchup, you know, that's part of analytics. It goes beyond just what the data sets do in a certain situation. You know, there's so much more into it. In my counter argument, whenever someone brings it up to me, I'm like, well, you know, you also think that, you know, trading players is as easy as doing it on your video game or fantasy football or signing guys is the easiest thing we should go after that. You know, there's, there's still a human element to it. The, the, the guy still has to execute, but data tells a player what your best, your best chances and outcome is, if that makes sense. You know, it's not telling you what's going to happen. It's telling you what approach to use to get the best outcome. Yeah, I always say that just because a decision works doesn't mean it was the right decision, and just because a decision didn't work doesn't mean that it was the wrong decision. If a if something you do works seven out of ten times, then it's a, it's the right decision a hundred percent of the time, even though thirty percent of the time it doesn't work. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean that's basic. That's that that's basic stuff to me. But there's a lot of people who. Don't want to. Don't want to hear that. All right, uh, just getting you. Well, out. Oh, go ahead. 
Well, you're, I, I was agreeing with you. Okay. We're, we're the most. Un, this is why this is why we're unpopular because we agree with each other. <laughs> no hot takes here, I guess. Um, how how do you just, just overall? How do you feel about these next two games as the Brewers? They were so good on the road uh, this year. They were good at home too. I think I feel like sometimes that got forgotten because their record on the road was better than their record at home. So some people tried to turn that into uh, they weren't a very good home team. They were they were a perfectly fine home team. They just happened to have a better record on the road. They were really good on the road. But does does that? You, you you play the regular season hoping that it helps to set you up for the postseason. Does the success on the road during the regular season pay out any dividends or have any impact here on these uh, next two games that are going to be played in Atlanta? You know, I think it does. I I, I, I like I still like the Brewers' chances. From the beginning, I thought this was going to be a five-game series. You know, whichever team comes out on top, I don't know. But I, I didn't think it was going to be a three- or four-game series. Uh, what I like about the Brewers' chances here, and we saw this in game one from the upset spectrum, something that Council talks about all the time is getting on a pitcher early, uh, getting an early jump on them. Um, and it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, the way that guys pitch now, the styles they pitch. You know, when you're getting a starting pitcher, it takes them a little time to get a feel for their pitches, to, to get locked in on their mechanics and all that stuff. So we saw with Corbin the other day, when, you know, the Braves got him into trouble there early in that first inning. You know, they got out of it. It didn't turn out to be a disaster. They missed an opportunity, but that's that's how you score. And I think that's why the Brewers have been so good on the road this year because they've made a point to get after these starting pitchers early on before they can get settled in and kind of go into cruise control. So I think that will benefit the Brewers over these next two games. Um, they're not facing Max Fried and, and Charlie Morton right now, so and that helps them too. Um, I, I think we'll be fine. I think the series comes back to Milwaukee on Thursday and, and gets wrapped up. And in that situation, I definitely like the Brewers' chances. He is Andrew Wagner. Follow him on Twitter at ByAndrewWagner. That way, all the uh, various places that you can read his writing, you can link to it right there. Uh, for sport, you see him in the uh, Wisconsin State Journal, see him in the AP occasionally, MLB.com occasionally. He is all over the place. Cosmo Kramer would say he is prolific. He is Andrew Wagner. Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Anytime, Matt. That's Andrew Wagner joining us here on Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, and that is just about going to do it. Uh, I'll be talking to you after the games in some form or fashion on Monday and Tuesday. Monday is an early game. We think it's going to be a noon game. Who knows? It's, uh, I'm watching this uh, this Houston-Chicago game as I'm recording this. It's now 11-12 p.m. on Sunday night as I'm recording this. And in the bottom of the eighth inning, the White Sox have a three-run lead. So barring a uh, three-run rally by Houston in the ninth inning, the White Sox will win and force a game number four. And what that is going to end up doing is keeping the Brewers game on schedule to be a 12 o'clock start on Monday. So what that also means is uh, in all, if the game goes a, uh, a conventional amount of time starting at noon after the game gets over on WTMJ, Wisconsin's Afternoon News, where I believe we're going to be live at the restaurant to be named later at American Family Field. And then uh, I'll be with you from 6 o'clock to uh, 7 o'clock for our Brew October Nightly as we'll be wrapping up uh, all things that took place uh, during the Brewers uh, game. So that's going to be uh, coming up on uh, Monday. And then I would expect the Tuesday game to be a little later, and we'll get back to the conventional uh, Brewers extra innings after uh, that show as well. So I uh, 
we we assume at this point i'm thinking it's going to be a 12 o'clock start but who knows in about five minutes after i'm done recording houston could put together a three-run rally and everything could uh could absolutely change and we'll just have to uh wait and see on that all right uh, appreciation to uh, andrew wagner for joining us thanks so much to you for being tuned in uh we'll continue to talk to you on an everyday basis between brewers extra innings and brew october nightly We'll be back with you next week for another edition of Brewers Extra Innings Podcast, powered by WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.